Hi and welcome to another episode of Postgrad Space with Valerie Uthiambo. Today we are talking about economical upheavals and why we should all be concerned as young people. I mean there's so much out there on how Kenya is letting down its children but I wanted to understand and find clarity on how all this affects us in the long run. So today I am speaking to Ramanyang who is a business reporter and he shares his life story with us and also delves more into the issue of economy and how it affects us as young people. Who is Ramanyang? Um Let's see. I'm I'm a young guy who, well, I used to be young, not anymore. In fact, I'm turning 33 this year, so I feel pretty old. Um, I grew up pretty much all over the country. Um, born in Embu, then the family moved around quite a bit. But the one constant was that we always grew up in in farms. Um, my mother's my mother's always been a very avid farmer, so. Working the land, tilling the land, building her entire career around agriculture has been her thing. And yeah. that pretty much influenced a lot of the decisions around how we grew up, where we grew up, the work ethic um, that she worked to instill in all of us. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I wanted to be a programmer at some point okay. uh, when I finished high school. The original plan was to try and convince my parents to pay for me to go to learn how to make video games. Uh, that did not work out well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The general reaction was, wait, Kijana, you think we're here to to start sending you over to the UK? Because this, this was 2003, 2004. So at the mm. time, if you wanted to do anything related to programming, at least that particular branch of programming, the only places that were actually doing anything at tertiary level about it um, mm. were universities in the UK and Kenya's economy at that point in time was in a particularly bad place. You know, we'd just come off a couple of years of, uh, we had a contraction actually, I believe it was either 2001 or 2002. Um, mm. And then we had a couple of years of really slow growth. So, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I understand why they, they made that decision, but you know, when, when when you're young and you're trying to convince your parents that you want to do something, mm. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the so fact I, is that they see that you don't see. Yeah. But how did you end up doing journalism? Because was it part of the plan? or? Um, no, actually, it wasn't part of the plan. Um, the, there's... The thing that I had in mind originally was, was that programming gig. But... Yeah. Throughout high school and primary school, I always ended up doing a lot of work in, in the performing arts. Mm. Um, so I spent a lot of time in, in, in drama in primary school, ended up picking up a bit of public speaking and a bit of poetry much, much later in high school. Um, and in high school, I also became slightly more opinionated. And I kept asking questions. Why, why are you making the decisions that you're making? Why is it yeah. that we as teenagers, as teenage students, cannot engage in any kind of dialogue with our teachers and we just have to sit back and, and blindly obey what you're saying, even though what you're, yeah. saying, you're telling us to do might not necessarily be the right thing? Yeah. So at, at some point, that, <laughs> that habit of asking questions nearly got me kicked out of school. There was there was a dispute um, when us guys were in form three 
between yeah. prefects on one hand and form threes on the other, and we, we just had had it with with how we were being told to to do certain things, and we just didn't didn't get it. We were like, wait, why? You know, that that's the eternal question that I think every young person asks. Okay, you want me to do X, but why? What's what's the rationale? What is it that yeah. you want me to do, and why do you want me to do it? And the culture that we have grown up in, at least in my generation, was, you know, children are there to be seen and not to be heard. So I am older than you, therefore obey. And I always found that to be fantastically flawed. So when you question that sort of um, culture, you basically are marking yourself out as someone who needs to be kicked out of the system. So, yeah, that... (laughs) That almost happened. Um, it didn't, but at that, after that point, I think I realized, okay, hang on. Um, maybe there's something to actually asking these questions and trying to figure out why exactly things are happening as they are and trying to explain that in a coherent manner to as broad an audience as possible. So you sort of merged all these, these personality traits and uh, the skill set that I had at that yeah. point in time uh, you you found yourself in campus and uh, did mass com or you continued with yeah. your programming yeah uh no 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 um essentially one today star did actually advertising um but the thing is that at the time when when i when i was in by the time i was in second year first year second yeah. year going into second year um i wanted i wanted a measure of independence i wanted to to have my own space i wanted to be able to to run around and experiment as much as i could with uh with my life and the only way to do that is if um, i'm not living um in my parents house so that meant inevitably i had to find a job now if you're a young 17, 18 year old who's trying to find something to do at that point in time, you, you, you can't exactly afford to be picky. Yeah. So yeah. I applied around, um, started doing pro bono voiceover work um, just to build up that network, find, find people who could um, connect me to the right places uh, or had the skill sets that I needed uh, to learn um, people I could shadow and I don't think it's I don't think it's online, um, but some of my earliest work would probably be on Transworld Radio. I'm not sure many people yeah. have heard of that. Um, I was doing some continuity announcing for a couple of programs over there um, on a pro bono basis um, to begin with, which which was fun um, to think <laughs> about it. it. It didn't exactly pay, but the fact that hang on, I'm actually sitting in a studio with a producer. There's a script here. We're working on this. That was that was essentially, you know, that foot in the door um, that got me on the road to where I am now. If I was asked how life would be, I think I'd say the future would be bright for us. But now we come to 2020 and we find a future that is bleak. <laughs> and so many 20-year-olds are still stuck in their parents' home. Um. It's it's tough. In fact, I, I think for your generation, it's 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 literally been a case of you know you get from one crisis into another. So if you if you yeah. start say for example from the early 2000s, you know we've we've come off the back of um, 
24 years of disastrous rule by Daniel Moy. He's run the economy into the ground. The economy actually yeah. contracts. Unemployment is at sky-high levels. Um, there's a change in guard. Moy Kibaki comes in. And at that point in time, you know, your generation's probably getting into lower primary. Um, you're just starting um, your education journey. And that period of time between 2003, it, you know, it looked fairly good. Um, yeah. Then 2007, 2008 comes along and you've got this big um, political crisis again. And, and at that point in time, I remember that was my first real crisis um, to cover. And you're sitting there wondering, damn it, are we actually going to have a country after this? Do we actually yeah. have anything worth talking about? And at least at that point in time, I could say I'm in the job market. But if, if you're someone relatively young, I mean, like my sister is about eight years younger than I am, you know, for, yeah. for her generation, which I think you're a part of, yeah. it, it was much, much harder because you've come all a lot of the the gains made up to that point in time, um, economically, politically, are basically um, rolled back. Um, yeah. Then we spend the next decade or so trying to fix those issues. And the economic growth that we're seeing now, and in fact, over that period of time, has essentially been focused mostly on government spending. It's not really been focused on trying to make it easier for individuals who are coming into the job market to actually A, get a job, but B, create businesses, um, B, thriving individual taxpayers who will go on to do fantastic things in the world. And 2020, in some ways, um, the crisis was foreseeable, but also not foreseeable. The pandemic, no one could have seen that one coming at all. Um, But it is what it is. We have to deal with it now. Uh, And it's, it's changed the job market in massive ways. I don't think after this, anyone can make a strong argument for the age to five in, in some office in the way that they could pre-COVID. That's not going to happen again. Yeah. But at the same time, the other the other reason why a crisis was foreseeable was if you look at the track record that we've had um, as a country from 2013 to date, you can't yeah. have this rapid accumulation of debt with virtually nothing to show for it. Because as your generation will know, roads are still a mess. Um, public yeah. education is still a mess. Public healthcare is still a mess. And yet we've borrowed $40 billion since 2013. And now we've yeah. put it on your generation and we've told you that you guys have to pay this back when you get into the job market. And yet you can't find jobs. And yet the job market is shrinking. We've basically given oh. you guys a very raw deal. Yeah. Do, do you think we are a lost generation? Because our grandfathers, our fathers, they really worked hard to get us get the education that we need to be able to survive. But now we have the education. Some guys are even going for masters, but they can't even get the job. Um, that's an interesting one. I guess you would probably be maybe the second generation to say that um, because anyone who probably was born, anyone who was coming into the, the, the job market, say, in, in the 90s, especially after 90, 1992, might have said the exact same thing. Um, the economy was in, in exactly this, well, roughly the same situation that we're in now. Um, it was actually worse in some respects. But ultimately, it, it boils down to 
you have a certain set of circumstances and what do you do with them so for example when 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 i was when i finished high school um yeah. and got into campus the availability of online learning tools was very very limited today yeah. from coursera to edx to udemy to lord knows what else you want to learn how to be a filmmaker you can do that um yeah. you want to learn how to code in python and r you can find someone to teach you that online you have opportunities that my generation never did yeah. so in that sense there are certain tools that you have that make your situation slightly easier um in the long run of course the challenges that you will face um the job market is is going to be held for the next 3 4 years fact yeah. because with the amount of and this just to give you some context given the amount of debt that we've borrowed over the last 7 8 years um yeah. servicing that debt will require a huge amount of taxes in order to come out of the private sector but at the very time when we need a much bigger amount of taxes to come through we're yeah. seeing companies laying people off we're seeing companies with a reduction in revenues and the government and if you look at its tax policy in fact the budget is coming up this week if you look at the sort of tax policies that are being put on the table the idea is not to try and give you room to grow to essentially juice up that tax base to grow it yeah. the idea is to essentially extract as much money as you can out of what limited resources you have at the moment which is deeply problematic yeah. because that essentially now means if you're looking at it from the perspective of an employee let's say you do have the fortune of getting a job um today it's virtually guaranteed that you're going to be getting into you're going to be hit very hard by personal income tax rates that may be deemed to be punitive because yes we've cut the top rate down to 25% now but the question still remains for how long will that last number one and number yeah. two even for the taxes that you do provide to the state um where exactly is that money going to go especially given the past track record of um of your money being being wasted yeah. so your generations going to face a lot of a lot of challenges um in trying to navigate your way through the job market but you have a whole bunch of advantages that we never had um yeah. which i think will serve you well so for instance you know in my in my peer group if when i went out and got a mentor and actually said look i'm looking for someone who can teach me x and y and z someone who can help me understand yeah. what sort of challenges i'm going to face in the job market back then that was a very odd thing to do it was very yeah. uncommon yeah. but mm. today you know trying to find that sort of that lodestone that person you can go up to and say hey i need help with x y z i i don't understand what sort of cultural nuances i might be missing in the workplace that's been yeah. normalized now and it's not impossible to find people who will help you on that journey um it is entirely possible to work remotely today in a way that my generation simply never had so yeah. there's there's a lot of things i think that would work fantastically well for for your generation despite all the challenges that uh, that have been thrown your way um the entirely new industries that could be created um amidst all the chaos and the destruction and and media is probably one of them if you yeah. look for example at um 
simple example, the the circulation for newspapers over the last uh, five years. Yeah, five years. Let's use five years because that's the number I have in my head at the moment. If you look at the trend oh. for the last five years, newspaper circulation has been declining every successive year. People are just not buying newspapers anymore. That's right. True. I can't remember the last time I bought one. <laughs> exactly. You see, for my generation, you know, it was like a, a, a Saturday morning ritual. You knew you wake up at six, go to the corner, buy the newspaper. Not yeah. anymore. Right. But mm-hmm. in as much as it pains me to see that side of the business decline, the flip side of it is that now you've got all these tools available to create mm-hmm. your own content at relatively low cost. You're doing this podcast with Anchor FM, for example, right? Now, back then, let's let's scroll back to 2004. Twitter didn't exist, Facebook didn't exist. Anchor FM, yeah. what the hell was that? Bandwidth, you own bandwidth? <laughs> you could get 512 kbps at, I think it was like 10,000 bob. It was crazy. Internet access yeah. was very, very limited. But now you've got all these tools available and you can create an entire new industry from scratch. So mm-hmm. yes, the environment we're throwing your generation into is crap, I agree. But the flip side of it is that you've got these massive opportunities to create things that in our generation, in our time, we never could because the tools simply did not exist. Just last week, Kenya became the third largest economy in South Saharan Africa. But for someone who is on the ground, they really do not understand that. Like, how does GDP got to do with employment or paychecks or putting food in your table? Here's, here's the thing about GDP, though. Let me. Yes, I'm, I'm going to get a little a little technical here, but um, well, I'll try and keep it as, as as simple as I can. See yeah. the way the way we we calculate. Um, GDPs is fairly straightforward. Essentially, what you're trying to do is you add up all private consumption. So how much do people spend on on, on Matatu Fair? How much do people spend uh, buying electronics? How much did people spend, you know, buying food, stuff like that? And then to that, you add all government spending. So things like how much was spent on roads or railways or things like that. Um, you add in investment by businesses. So um, did we invest in new plants, new production plants? Did we invest in new buildings? Um, And then on top of all of that, you need to add in net exports. So net exports, you arrive at that by um, the difference between total exports and what you import. So you, you, GDP essentially is taking all of those numbers and just mashing them into one big blender. Now, the way that formula is constructed, if you have um, enormous amounts of government spending, right? Mm-hmm. And if yeah. everything else remains flat, so say private consumption, private investment remains relatively flat, um, and your net exports um, essentially remain the same. If the government spending number goes up, then your GDP number goes up. Yeah. Now, the fundamental problem is that GDP by itself is not really an accurate reflection of what's happening on the ground. And Kenya is a prime example of that. A lot of the government expenditure that we've had for the last decade or so has been funded essentially by debt, 
right? We've borrowed, we've gone into the market, we've said we want to borrow, you know, $2 billion here, $3 billion there. And for the last decade, companies um, have been very willing to lend us money. Now, <laughs> the problem is, okay, you've gone out there, you've borrowed all this money, like what we do with China, for example, we've borrowed almost $7 billion from them, and we've invested it in the rail line. Um, but these are not necessarily the sort of investment projects that produce durable, sustainable jobs that will last in the long run. Mm -hmm. So even though that GDP number may look high, it does not necessarily imply that you will have a massive amount of jobs being created. And the other way of seeing that is if you look at the, um, the amount of jobs that are created by the private sector every year, yeah. that number has been in decline for the last five years consecutively except I think for 2013, but even 2013 was an aberration because the only reason that number jumped up was because IEBC hired uh, a lot of clerks in order to run yeah. the election for that specific year. Yeah. Sorry, not 2013, 2017, 2017. That's a, that's a year that I have in mind. So if, if one body can swing the jobs numbers that aggressively, that tells you there's a problem because companies, ideally that are growing rapidly, that are going to be putting more content into the market, more goods, more services, at some point they will need to hire more people because you're either going to get to expand through one of two ways. Either you invest more in labor, so you have more people going into the field providing services, or you do it through capital. So when we talk about capital, we're basically saying a business will invest in um, bigger call centers or more automated services to provide essentially greater um, a greater throughput of goods or services, but with the same number of people in hand. Now, the fact of the matter is, in, in this weird little economy of ours, yeah. government has been in the driving seat. They have sunk in a lot of money uh, into in dubious infrastructure projects, some would argue. Um, but have these necessarily turned around and created jobs? No. But there's also an ideological question there. Is it mm. the government's business to create jobs, strictly speaking? No, it's not. But it is the government's job to create an enabling environment that makes it as easy and as simple as possible for people to actually get out there and create enterprises that then create those jobs. Unfortunately, what we've done is we've borrowed a lot, we've invested in some basic infrastructure, which is of dubious quality, yeah. but we have not created the environment that allows businesses to thrive and create jobs and invest in people. So yes, we might be the third largest um, economy in Sub-Saharan Africa at the moment, but on the job side, we're doing particularly badly. Despite all these challenges that we are facing, what can we do with what we have? Um, the one advantage that your generation has is time. Time and a willingness. Well, if the willingness bit is entirely up to individuals, but ideally you need to have the willingness to a learn because one of the things you will figure out rather quickly when you get into the job market is that a lot of the things that you learn in university will not necessarily translate into the environment in which you work. Yeah. So, for example, I remember attending classes about film photography 
but by the time <laughs> by the time we were getting out of um, getting out of university yeah. there was no media house that was shooting in film none whatsoever okay. right so there's 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 an element of um, what what curricula is teaching might eventually um, might be out of sync with uh, with the job market so you have to be willing to learn from people who are either A, in that industry, or B, you have to find ways of learning those skills of what's current um, through various sources online. Mm-hmm. On top of that, uh, I, I don't think I can emphasize this enough. When you're young, the yeah. one key advantage you have is time. Don't waste it. Learn as much yeah. as you can and make those mistakes now. Because when you get to my age, <laughs> when you make a mistake, <laughs> your margin for error is virtually nothing, right? Because, yeah. you know, you're supporting two households. If, if I make a mistake, it's it's not just me who's suffering the consequences. It's me plus a couple of other people, right? Yeah. So when you're young and, and you know, you, if someone offers you a job, even if it's outside of your skill set, even if it's something you've never done before, go for it. Mm-hmm. Try it. Learn from it. Because those are where you pick up some skills that you would um, that might come in handy much much later. It, it will be yeah. extremely useful for 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 your future um, integration into the workforce, and not just in terms of the skills that you acquire, but even that ability of you know fitting into a specific kind of corporate environment. Because every every company has its own its own way of doing things, and the sooner you're able to read those cues to figure out. How is a hierarchy structured here? What's the working environment and the working culture like? The sooner you can figure those things out, the better. Mm. And never stop learning. Never stop learning. The, the, the beauty of, of being in your position at the moment is if you combine all those things that we just mentioned, the availability yeah. of these new tools, um, much, much cheaper, more pervasive access to bandwidth and time, you can become pretty formidable in the workplace, um, even if it's at a much lower, quote-unquote, cost. Your salary, um, your 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 costs in salary terms to an employer might actually be relatively lower than someone who's been around um, for far longer but earns more, but their work output may not necessarily be the same. Use that to your advantage um, whenever and however you can. Um, yeah, and... You know, just go out there and and make the most of what you have. It's it's not much, but those are the lemons that you have. So now you have to go out there and make a lemonade. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. What I'd love you to do is to pick out what stood out for you in today's conversation and tag me at postgradspace on Instagram or pgradspace on Twitter. I am so grateful for you being a dedicated listener and I hope that you can share this message with your friends and your loved ones. Don't forget to subscribe as well and to rate and to review this podcast. Till next time, ciao.